Apparently, I'm supposed to blow your mind, okay? Um, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because you can be like, wow, that was bad, okay? Um, I hope that's not it. Now, what I want to do, first of all, in Acts chapter 20, uh, I want to go and share with you the first 16 verses in about two minutes, okay? I think we can cover that. We'll go real deep with these, okay? Because um, what we're going to do is spend the majority of our time um, in verses 17 through the end of the chapter. Now, in the first 16 um, verses, Paul is traveling around. He's beginning to move um, and, and get re- getting ready to go back to Jerusalem. And he stops at a city. He goes to into this house uh, or into a building and he begins to preach. He begins to teach. And he's teaching for a long time. In fact, it says he was preaching into the night. And this is about midnight or close to midnight. While he was teaching, there was a young man who was sitting in a window. I mean, there was standing room only. He's kind of in a window. And he's talking so long, Paul, that he kind of, this young man kind of dozes off, falls out. I think it's a third story window, falls to the ground and dies. Now, when you say, man, he bored me to death. That would be the definition right there, okay? Um, Paul was really, he was teaching and teaching and teaching. He went for hours and hours and hours. And it's kind of, I don't know about you, I see just something funny in the fact that Paul went down and he healed him, brought him back to life. They went in, had something to eat, and then they went back to teaching until daybreak. And um, it's a pretty incredible story. And that's all I'm going to share about that, okay? It's kind of like Forrest Gump. That's all I got to say about that, okay? And um, then we're going to move on right now to, um, sorry, verse um, 17. Now, before I get there, I want to share a story. Uh, I was at a church as a youth, as a student and young adult pastor for 14 years, from 1990 to 2003. And uh, as, as I think about that time, it was really an amazing time of ministry in that church. When I came on, we, our very first Wednesday night, we had 15 kids. The junior high and high school group came together, okay, and we started with 15 kids. That Sunday, first Sunday, we had 21 kids. So we grew, I mean, by really like 50, almost 50%, okay? And so it was amazing church growth. I wrote a book and sold a lot of copies. Um, but, but here we are, 15 kids. And over the next 14 years, obviously the ministry expanded. You know, we didn't keep all the junior high and high schoolers together. Um, we, at one point, I, I oversaw a ministry called Planet 56, a fifth and sixth grade ministry, and all the way up to um, age 35. So I covered fifth grade through age 35, okay, um, at one point. We, we started those 15 to 21 kids. At the end of that time, we were averaging about 750 people within those ministries um, each week. But, you know, that isn't the part that was great for me. And it was fun to watch that. But I, I think about the relationships. I think about the times of, uh, of teaching and sharing my heart with students that I love so much. And I wanted to catch hold uh, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be sold out for him. It, it was so fun to watch students do things that just blew me away, blew them away. And, 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 and to see what God did in in them and through them. I mean, there were kids who were impacting, I mean, dozens and dozens of people. Some kids that were, went through some horrific, difficult, painful times. Some kids went through, had some evil, evil things done to them. Walking with families through loss. 
um, times of, of, of mentoring. And, and actually, one of the guys that I mentored when he was younger, later on I hired to be our high school pastor. And that was so much fun. There, there, there are wonderful, beautiful, just amazing times. There was ordinary days, which were a lot of them, most of them. And then there's some incredibly painful, hurting times as well. But it was, it, it was emotional. It, I gave my heart, my family, our lives, and, and everything within us to this group. And, and through a set of circumstances, I was leaving. And I remember my very last night, it was um, on a Saturday night, a Sunday night. We had started a whole service on Sunday night directed towards kind of young adults and um, I had my notes, and, and I was getting ready. I walked up, and I just was over, overcome with looking out and seeing the people. There were people who had moved away who came back for that last night, and, and, and people that I loved, the people I cared about, people who had just got it used in my life. And, you know, I just thought, I don't need to say this. I, I wanted to share from my heart. I wanted to share some things that were important to me, some things about myself and to remind them of some, some of the things that were most important that we talked about over and over and over again over the last 14 years. And when I read tonight about um, Paul and what we're going to look at, I, I instantly was reminded of this time in my life because Paul is getting ready to do something very, very similar than, to that. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. Um, he stops in, 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 in the town. I, can always, I always have trouble pronouncing some of these towns in Miletus. It's on the, it's in Asia Minor, and it's about 30 miles south, this, 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 um, port is like 30 miles south of Ephesus. And we've talked about Ephesus a lot in, um, in, in Acts, haven't we? Okay, in the church that Paul started there, uh, the wonderful things happened there, the, the troubles he had there. And so, Paul wanted to, he didn't want to go to the church itself. But what he wanted to do was to talk to the leaders, um, the elders, the, the people who were running the church, who were overseeing the ministry there. So he took a, out his phone, sent a, a group text, all right, and said, come on over to the port. So they traveled. I mean, someone had to go 30 miles to find them, gather them together, and say, Paul's waiting to see you 30 miles to come back. All right? So it wasn't real quick. And when they got there, Paul began to share with them from his heart. He, he began to talk to them about the, his ministry with them and, and, and the foundation and reminding them of the truth of it. And then he shares some, some calls, some reminders, uh, some, 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 some of the core parts of what we need to remember in our walk and, and, and how we relate to one another as the body of Christ. Okay, so if you will, open your Bibles to, to Acts chapter 20 and uh, go to verse 18. I'm going to read verses 18 right now through 25. It says this, you yourselves, this is Paul talking, he says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots from the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, 
except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. I do not, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Um, those were pretty, pretty, some pretty incredible words. And, and that was just kind of his beginning. And really, Paul begins by almost recapping the ministry that he had there with them. Um, what he went through, the different parts that, that he shared. He has spent three years with them, teaching them, uh, building them up, investing in them, especially this group of men that were standing before him right now. Now, he taught, as he said, over and over. But the people that he and Timothy really invested in were these men, because they knew they wouldn't be with them forever. And they were the men who were the pastors of this church, who were the overseers, who, who were the elders, you know, whatever term you may want to use. And um, he, he, he wanted to remind them uh, of the truth. He, he, Paul knew that because he had seen this over and over again, the false teachers were going to come in. Uh, they were going to come in and pervert maybe um, what he had taught. Uh, maybe he would, they would begin to challenge who Paul really was to them, his apostleship, uh, any number of things. We know that because we see later on that those things actually happened in Ephesus. Um, but Paul experienced that again time and time again. So I want to look at uh, several things that he shares about his heart it, when he first came and what he determined as he came to them at the very beginning and throughout the three, three years that he was with them, specifically leading that church and teaching and guiding and mentoring them. He says in verse 29, he was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that, that happened to me through, through the plots of the Jews. He, first of all, he says, I, I served you in humility. You know, Paul didn't say he served them. Yeah, it's interesting. Paul didn't say he served them in humility. It says he served the Lord in humility. Did you catch that? He was, I serve the Lord in humility with you. Now, why would Paul describe himself and what he did in this manner? Why wouldn't he say, I served you with humility? Why would he say, I serve the Lord in humility? These guys are going to be, if you raise your hand. That, by the way, that was a question that you can answer, okay? And if you'd like to, 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 to share, to respond, or if you have a question along the way, just raise your hand and these guys will come to you. So why would Paul share it in that way? Hold on one sec. I don't think that's on. He was giving... God his due praise. It wasn't Paul's praise, it was God's praise, and that's why he said it that way. Okay, so you're saying that it was it was it was God's praise, it was a God's glory of what he was doing? Okay, alright, great. Anything else? Y'all say amen to that hundred percent. I agree. Okay, here's someone right here. Um, if you could write in this it, down the center aisle on this side. Is that you? No? Oh, you weren't. You were just kind of had your hand up, scratching your head. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, th I think, you know, the big part of that is Paul was saying, you know, his number one priority or his number one concern was to honor and to please God, not man. I mean, more than anything else, that's what he desired. He wasn't in it to make a name for himself. He wasn't in this to, to become a national speaker, go on the circuit. Um, he, he wasn't in it for any other reason other than a desire 
to honor God and to please God, to lift him up. Over and over, we've talked about this. I know you've heard about it over and over um, throughout this whole series in Acts, how, how Paul... Um, you know, talk to, even when people were, were um, uh, talking about who, who was baptized, and Paul goes, I'm nothing. He goes, I didn't baptize you. Don't use my name to say, oh, I was baptized by Paul. He goes, no, it, 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 is, it is God who, who um, has saved you. It's God who has done that. Paul, Paul is not about gaining um, significance through other people. Galatians 1.10, Paul, um, Paul, when he wrote uh, that um, book, said this. He says in verse Verse ten says, "For I am now seeking the, for I am not seeking the approval of man." Let me start over again. Let me turn my glasses so I can actually read this. For am I now seeking? That's so much different this way. Okay, for I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do you catch that? He goes, "If I, if I'm trying to please man, the last thing I'd want to do." was to be a servant of God, because that being a servant of God means that everything points to him, not to me, because it's not about me, and it's not about you, it's about God. Now, as we look at this, how can we relate to what Paul is saying? Because Paul's talking about what I was doing with you was serving the Lord. Now, he was teaching, he was preaching, he was he was uh, mentoring people, encouraging people. So Paul was like, like, was a pastor. He was a missionary. He was a pastor. Now, now, can can we relate to Paul? Can can this only happen to a missionary or pastor? I mean, do we? Can you only serve God if you're doing ministry, or can you serve God just through what we do? What do you think? No matter what we do, do you understand the question? Okay. Are we able to do that? And if so, explain what you think about that. Okay, sure. Okay. You know, Paul talked about serving God um, rather than man, okay? Now, how can we relate to this? Okay, if you're, if you're not, if you know, if, I mean, if you, I have a job where I get to be a pastor, okay? So kind of similar to Paul, okay? And I want to serve God, but, but someone who, who is, who is just, who is a follower of Jesus, who is serving God, who is working for Intel or Taco Bell or wherever, okay? How can we still serve God rather than man, even within our jobs? Go ahead. Um, absolutely. Um, I just wanted to share. I, I don't know if I was here at the mine when this came up, but this topic came. Talk, we were talking about it, and it was like I'm a Christian, and I work for Verizon Wireless, and I'm a trainer. So I'm a Christian that's a trainer, not a trainer that's a Christian, and that just really resonated with me. So absolutely. Yeah. So so yeah. So I, I'm a Christian first, no matter what I'm doing. And okay, obviously. Any, any, anything else? Any other thoughts? Right, right here. Go ahead. Hello. So you said how could you work for like a job and still work for God? Uh, I don't know what verse it was, but it was work for man as if you're working for God. So put as much effort and heart into your job as if it was for the Lord. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, let me just read a verse. I think the verse that you're just kind of talking about, that you kind of, kind of quoted there, is, um, is in Colossians 3, 23. It says, um, whatever you do, do your work 
heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the, of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Someone else had something over here? I'd just like to say that being a Christian first, you're always being watched, always, mm-hmm. by other people, just so they can point and say, see, they're not Christians at all. So the fact that your actions, no matter what you do, what you're doing, have to be something that's favorable into the Lord and that they know that you serve a higher God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, no matter, no matter what we do, no matter where we work, we serve God. You know, I remember uh, one time hearing someone talk about, you know, you know, living your life and doing, he goes, you know, you're actually, we're all actually missionaries no matter where we work. And um, Boeing actually just pays your salary, okay? Um, God has sent us out to, to be witnesses of him, to be a reflection of him, um, it, to be a Christian. A Christian means a little Christ. That's what it means, little Christ. To be little Christs, okay, no matter where we're at. And, and in that place, we serve God by, by who we are at our jobs and the type of employees we are, how we treat others around us, um, in, in every way, the same as Paul. So Paul said that, you know, his desire was to, was to honor God, is to glorify him first. Now, he also served in humility, he says. Um, and um, how would you describe um, what, uh, actually, the word serving um, here is a word for bond servant, where you, it is where you place yourself in, in, in servitude to someone else. So it's, it's, it's something that you do of your own accord. It's not like you were captured and forced into slavery. But he says, I've become a servant of them, and I've done that in humility. And um, he saw himself, we've talked about before, Paul says, uh, he saw himself as the least of the apostles. In fact, Paul struggled and dealt with his... Uh, I would say his un- unworthiness. Uh, or he didn't struggle with his unworthiness. He really saw himself as unworthy to hold the position he held as an apostle, as a teacher of doing these things. Um, over and over again, he goes, I'm the chief of sinners. Uh, I'm not worthy to be an apostle. I, all, all of this. And he really was humbled by his own sin that he had done in terms of persecuting the church and actually overseeing the death and, and, and the murder um, and the martyrdom of of what he now would call his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he struggled with that, and it, and it kept him in this place of, of humility. In fact, in fact, Jesus even talks about how he would suffer. You know, he would understand the suffering of Christ. And, and Paul talks about that over and over again. Uh, but Paul served in humility. Now, the second thing I want to get to here is that, that he, um, he was willing to endure suffering, okay, for Christ. Now, that's not the, the, the probably the most um, popular, that's not, that's not real popular teaching for us, you know, especially when we're sharing Christ. Hey, guess what you get to do when you come to Christ? You get, you know, a life that is full. You get, you get a joy that the Bible talks is inexpressible. And you get to suffer. So exciting. How many of you had the gospel shared with you in that way? Yeah, that's not a big calling card, is it? Okay. Um, you did, okay, you did possibly. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. Do we sometimes suffer because of our faith in Christ? Well, the answer is yes, isn't it? In fact, Paul even says over and over that we will. In Acts 14, um, verse 22, it says, um, Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And in 2 Timothy 3, it says, All those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. 
Every single one of us. Paul says, I've, I, 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 I've served in humility and I've endured suffering. Now, let me ask you this. We see, we'll see in a second how, how he um, suffered, but how might we suffer? We really, us. I mean, do we really suffer for seeking to be godly? Can we suffer really in our day for being godly? Hi. Hi. Um, it's not easy to forgive your enemies at first, but it, as a matter of fact, for me, it was very difficult to humble myself and then to forgive them. But as you do it and you do it and you do it, it gets easier. And now it's, now it's a, you know, hop, skip and a jump. So, yeah, it, it, you know, to, to forgive our enemies, you know, maybe people who have hurt us. Yeah, it's definitely what we're called to do. Let me ask you this. How, how specifically can we, maybe have you experienced some suffering or some maybe persecution or some trials through that? Is there someone over here? Yes. Um, I have a neighbor that she called me the, the, the woman that God talks to, or I talk to God, and I had to keep my mouth shut for a long, long time. She finally led me back into the church and became a Christian herself. Hmm. So um, it's interesting how that turned around. So we're pretty close, pretty good friends. But I'd also like to add, too, that every one of the apostles were persecuted. They were killed. And all the way up to the time they died, they proclaimed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. And many, many, many people became saved and turned their lives around because they saw their life was on the line. And they still claimed at the 11th hour who they were serving. And that's why so many turned their lives to Christ was because of their actions to the end. They didn't say, I'm just kidding. I'm not following Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, they stayed in there. So I think that was an awesome testimony. And just like then, today, of course, we don't have it as hard as we did back then. But people are, like I said, watching us and they want to see us slip up. They want to see if this is a for real thing. So that's what I had to say. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's so true that, that, that the, all the apostles died a martyr's death. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, and it is true that they remained faithful. Uh, and, you know, you first of all talked about mocking, you know, and, you know, someone mocking you for your faith. And I, and I, I would probably say that, that probably most people in the United States, I mean, it, not often does it go beyond that, possibly, right? Maybe mocking, um, maybe someone just wanting to, maybe not want to be in a relationship with you. I mean, there may, could be some other things. You live in some parts of the country, um, and, and you, if you're not a certain religion, I mean, you can be banned if you own a business or things like that. But for the most part, we don't. We, we think about ISIS and, and what they're doing to Christians, you know, um, in other countries, and it really is New Testament times. Um, the early church times where people are, are being killed for their faith. And whenever, you, whenever there has been intense persecution of Christians, the amazing thing, like you shared, is there's been a revival during those times, probably greater than any other time in, times in the church. That, because when you know when you come to Christ and you know when you do this, that, that there's a real possibility that could mean your life here on earth. And so you don't go into it lightly. Or you don't do, go into it in, in comfort, for, for comfort, for ease, but understanding that you're entering, entering into really a battle zone of what's going on. But you know we need to be careful. And even the Bible says, be careful that you don't suffer for wrongdoing. 
Okay, don't, don't, don't say that be, I'm suffering because I'm a Christian, but let me just say, but we shouldn't suffer um, by being Christians who don't reflect Jesus. Because we can suffer as Christians who are rude, who are um, unkind, um, who are mean-spirited, who are incredibly judgmental, can't we? We can suffer huge. I've seen people suffer huge and also give a very poor name to Christ. In fact, doing things in the name of Jesus that Jesus would never do. And um, where God would get, gets blamed for a lot of things he has nothing to do with. And um, we need to be careful that we don't do that. And that as, as, as we walk in faith, even when we need to talk to someone maybe or, or share with someone about what is right, what is wrong, that we think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. I want to share a story with you and I, I want you to really take hold of it. And I'm not putting down any organization or anything like that, but to try to stop and to think about the impact of what we do and what we say on, on, on the people that we, that we want to show love to, that we want to share the love of Christ with. This girl named Carrie. She was a part of our young adult group up at the church I was talking about at Central. And Carrie, but before she became a Christian, she in college she had gotten pregnant, and um, you know, like so many girls um, do or often do, is they they go and um, she had an abortion. It was an unplanned pregnancy, unwanted pregnancy. She went to counseling. She was told, later on she told me, it's just really a massive tissue at this point. It's not really living. It's just, it's at its early stages and it's it just get, get away with it. Well, she had the abortion after coming to Christ and, and, she, and, and she came through Christ through like a post-abortion counseling. And at that point, for the very first time, she saw pictures of, of what her, her fetus, and you know, the term fetus is a Latin word for little one. Okay, I know people, it's a baby, not a fetus. Well, actually, fetus is a, is a Latin word to talk about a baby. It's a little one. She saw a picture of her little one, uh, of the age it was when she had the abortion, and it, and it destroyed her. The guilt that she began to feel, the remorse and the hurt and the pain that she had was, and she even, she struggled with depression and she, it just added to that. And she was, and she would go up and down and up and down. And she was, I just, my heart went out for her so much. One day she was at, she had actually moved away. And uh, she was on the road. And you know those billboards? I don't, have, I don't know if they have them here in L.A. and in some other metropolis, you know, more and more metropolis cities. Um, they have billboards that are pulled in a trailer behind a car on the freeways. You guys ever seen those? Okay. And on there, this was a, 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 um, a Christian organization had a huge picture of, of a baby in the, in the womb, up in the corner, what it looked like, and said, this is your baby, and then said, this is your aborted baby, and they had a picture, I mean, a giant picture of what, it, of what the aborted fetus looked like. And it, and it was about the age of the baby, of Carrie's baby. And she was just overwhelmed, overwhelmed. Um, she, she spiraled down. And, and, and the worst case took place where she took her life. Now, I, I'm, I'm not judging the people with those, with, with those signs. What I want to say is all of us, as we look at and as we see how we say what we say and share the truth that we share and, and, and help people and meet people where they're at, Make sure that we do that in a manner, in a way that would honor and glorify God. And it would do it in the manner that Jesus did. Read the Gospels. Look at how he dealt with people who were lost. Look at how he dealt with people who were in sin and coming out of sin that was destructive to them. Look at how he did that. And then try to model yourself after he, how he treated people in those, in those situations. 
We need to make sure we don't suffer from being, um, let's say, maybe um, followers of Jesus who aren't necessarily reflecting him. Now, Paul, Paul said he suffered, experienced internal suffering, he says, through tears. It was like an internal suffering he had. He, he felt a pain inside. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. he says, apart from such external things, we'll read the whole chapter, whole verse, I mean, actually in a few minutes, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. You know, Paul looked at the church that he was at, at Ephesus and, and other churches. Man, he loved the people so much, and he, and, and, he, and he had this concern for them. He had a worry. I mean, there, there was almost maybe even a worry for them, and, and he saw the hurt, and he saw the trauma, and he saw the challenges, and at times he says he was in tears because he loved them like a father loves a child. And, 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 and Paul's concern, it was a, a daily concern that the enemy would not get a foothold in the lives of these young and early believers of the way, of Christ. They were called the way by, by people. And, 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 and Paul said, you know, it, it is a burden that I carry because of that love and the hurt and the pain of seeing people fall away and led astray and even persecuted. But we also know that he experienced um, suffering in external trials. And in 2 Corinthians 11, 21 through 28, listen, listen, listen real quick, as Paul is kind of defending himself, okay, to people who are, who are challenging him and, and his, his walk with the Lord and his apostleship and who he is. And, and so, so Paul says, starting verse 21, he says, what anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. It's kind of a comment. I'm speaking as a fool, but I also dare to boast about. So he goes, hey, if you're going to boast in that, oh, okay, I can boast in that. Okay, I can, I can say the same thing. He goes, he says this, are, are, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then he says, he goes, I am out of my mind to talk like this. He goes, he goes, <clears throat> he goes it's just crazy to talk like this. But he goes, okay, I am more. He goes, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 49 lashes minus one. You know the flogging that Jesus underwent? He, he underwent that five times. Um, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and it wasn't because of a joint or something like that, okay? Um, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Can you imagine three times? I would, after one time, I wouldn't go on a boat again, okay? I mean, I wouldn't do that. He goes, I, I've been in dangers. Um, he goes, he goes, I've been shipwrecked three times. He goes, one time I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I would freak out. How many of you love the ocean? How many of you have never been to the ocean? Okay, so if you haven't, okay? You have the beach, but no water. We have the beach, but no water here, Okay. The ocean's beautiful. When you get way out there and you're in the water, it is creepy, scary. Okay? And that's all I can say. It is creepy, scary. Because all I hear is... I mean, I just start hearing that in my ears. Seriously, it's like I was snorkeling one time and I almost had a panic. Because it's like I just heard the theme to Jaws. And I'm like, dang you, Steven Spielberg. You know, it's like, why? All right? And it was just like, ah... But he says, the night and day I, I spent in the deep. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without any food. 
I have been cold and naked and beside everything else. He says again, I face the daily, the pressure of my concern for all the churches. You know, Paul understood suffering. He also then says, I, 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 I was teaching and I was sharing Christ with you, with Gentiles, with anyone that I possibly could. It was his passion. He wanted people to come to know who Jesus was. The freedom of coming into a relationship. The, his Gentile brothers and sisters, he wanted them to know him so bad because he, he didn't want them to, to be caught in a yoke of, yoke of slavery to a law, but of freedom that he experienced in Christ and a forgiveness and a joy and a life and a fullness that was not available under the law. He was passionate about that. Um, he, says, he says here, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus. Now, the, the term shrink from means, um, um, it's, it's hupostello. And it says, to draw back or withhold. He goes, I did not draw back or withhold ever from sharing with anyone, to encourage them, to counsel them, to exhort them, to admonish them, uh, you know, to, to do whatever was necessary. Anything, he says, that was profitable. If there was something that was profitable to say to someone, no matter what kind it was, I was going to do that, is what he was saying. That was my heart. Now, he's saying he never held back. Have you ever held back from saying something to someone? About God, about Christ, maybe, maybe even even a brother or sister um, in Christ who, man, you're looking at them, and go, man, they are heading down a bad path, or they're already in the thick of something that's not good, and not shared. Why do you think? Why do we often hold back or withhold words, maybe that we should share? Why why do you think we do that? For the fear of what they'll think or say. I'm sorry, say that again? For the fear of what they'll think or say. Okay, so we may be afraid of how they might respond to us. Okay? Anything else? Yeah? I think some people um, may not respond to somebody in a situation because they're not properly equipped. They don't have the tools to be able to respond effectively. Okay, so, so out, of, out of maybe a, a fear of, of not being able to adequately maybe talk to someone about whatever it is they need to talk about. Okay? Anything else? Right up here. Well, sometimes, like, we do have, like, the tools, like, we can, like say something that was in the Bible, you know, to, to stay away from things that are not holy, you know, to try to guide somebody. But sometimes, too, when you do bring it to their attention, it makes that person angry. And then it just pushes that person further away from mm-hmm. you when you're trying to bring that person closer. So it may be a hesitancy because maybe what we say, especially if it's a confrontational thing, may pull, push them further away from you and you don't want, you don't want to lose that connection, that friendship, that relationship. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that can be a concern, huh? Anything else? Any other reasons why we may hold back 
on sharing. Right over here. Right, right, right down there. She's. Oh, you're raising your hand for somebody else. How brave of you. All right. Good job. Good job. Um, well, I work in a big corporation, and so uh, we come across all sorts of, you know, everyday problems with our, with our associates' lives and what people are going through. A lot of times I want to, say, mentor to them, but then I can't find the right words. Hmm. It's like I only have just three minutes. <laughs> Mm. I can't really, I don't really know what I could say to them that could stick in their mind without them feeling offended or without them judging me. So, mm. yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're dealing with people. I mean, when we're around a lot of people, we're going to be around a lot of issues, right? Because we, we all got issues and hangups, don't we? Um, habits, issues, hangups, we all, we, we all have them. And, um, and maybe with a short amount of time, you know, what can I say? I don't know maybe what to say during that time in order to, would it stick? You know, would it be the right thing to say? Are they going to take it wrong? You know, and, okay, yeah. So there's, there's the fear that maybe the things won't come out the right way or come across the right way. Yeah. You know, I think there's a, I think most of us could probably, uh, probably uh, relate to all of those things, right? I mean, maybe be nervous about the relationship being hurt, uh, maybe how they respond would be bad, maybe not, not, not feel like we're, we really know enough or equipped enough to really say the right things or the feeling, the fear of that or, uh, or not knowing if, if I'm going to be able to say the right thing and to make it stick. Uh, I mean, those are all there and I can understand that. I really can. But I think, you know, if we go to, if we think about 1 Corinthians 13, which first few verses of that talk very seriously just about if we're doing what we're doing out of love, with a love for God and a love for that person, that's, the, that's it's most important. Um, it says if you do anything without love, it doesn't mean anything. It's no, no, not profitable to you. It's an, it's an irritant to others. And so a, a heart check is, is first and foremost important. But, but, but sharing with somebody, even if we think it's not the right thing, when we do it in love and people can see the love and concern in us, I think people can receive that. And I would encourage you, you know, saying the right thing with the right heart, even if you think, I, I, I fumbled that. We have this whole, the, the Holy Spirit and God who's at work. Okay, with us. And oftentimes when we feel that sense, sometimes that urge to say something to someone, an encouraging word, a building up word. Maybe it's a, it's a word to go and to <coughs> talk to a brother or sister about something. Again, when we do it in the manner in which God wants us to, and, and we're feeling that pull to do it, and we pray, God, is this from you? Do you want me to say that? And it's like, go for it. Go for it. I'm just saying, I, I triple dog dare you not to, not to um, hold back, but just go for it, to share that in, in such a way. In fact, we have verses that encourage us. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 says, Therefore, it says, encourage one another day after day while it's still called today, lest anyone be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Just do it. He goes, don't put it off till tomorrow, but while it's still called today, if it's right there in front of you, just go for it. Just do it. Okay, Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how we might stir or stimulate or spur one another on towards love and towards good deeds. All the more, he says, as you see the day or the day of the return of Christ drawing near. He says, he says let, we need to stimulate, to spur one another on towards loving good deeds. And then in, in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, it says, if any man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. 
Each one looking to himself, lest you too be tempting. He says, says, restore them. How? Slam them for, for their sin? No. He goes, with gentleness, with love. Man, code to them and bring them back. In, in, in the next verse, he says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What do you say? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the law of Christ. And fulfilling the law of Christ has come along someone, our brothers and sisters, a family members, a spiritual family, who are straying, going down a path that isn't good. And we go to them, not judging them, because judgment brings about a sense of condemnation, a punishment that we lay upon them. That's judgment. We are to come alongside them, it says, and restore them. God wants us to restore them. Okay? Not putting down a, a condemnation, but a restoration. A restoration. You know, isn't it great when you see a house that's all kind of torn down and kind of falling apart? Someone kind of comes in, buys it, and restores it, kind of, especially back to its original place, especially you have an old, one of those old craftsman homes. They're beautiful, aren't they? They're, they're beautiful. I mean, in fact, the value incre- it, it increases to the point where it's more valuable than it ever has been. You realize that's who we are in Christ. We have been restored. And when we are restored, our value is greater than it ever was outside of Christ. When someone is, is in sin, possibly, it's like you, you break a bone. I knew a kid who was in my group who had a car accident and broke the bone. Boom, right here. And it was a horrible break. Now, the doctor told him when that, when that bone mended, that break mended, it, it would be stronger. That spot would be stronger than it ever was before. In fact, it would never break in that spot again. Restoration and, and, and healing um, can make us stronger. And God wants to use us in one another's lives to do that. He also, Paul also declared a couple things, and I need to move on here, um, that, that, that are a must in our lives. And, and first he says, he goes, he goes, I talked to them about repentance toward God. And pr- re- now, how would you describe, how would you, how would you define repentance? If you, how would you say this is what repentance is? How would you define it? Raise your hand. I know, I know some of you want to say something. What's repentance? All the way in the back. Agreeing with God. Say it again. Agreeing with God. Agreeing with God. Okay. Agreeing with God. How else? There's someone right over here. If you see right back on this side, right towards that, see your hand up right there. He's running. Go ahead over here. Thinking a new way. Say it again. Thinking a new way. Thinking a new way. Okay. Agreeing with God, thinking a new way. It's changing your direction. Changing your direction. You are not walking the same path. You actually turn around and go the opposite way. Okay. Turn around, make that 180-degree turn, and you're walking in a new path. Oh, those are all 100% right and correct. It is. It, It actually, the literal meaning of the word means to change one's mind or purpose. Okay, to change one's mind or purpose. It means the entire, and it's about the entire person, your, your intellect, your emotion, and your will. It, it is, it is a, a change of direction. And it's the idea that a change of mind that changes a behavior. 
See, you change your mind and your thinking, your will and your heart, and that changes the path that you walk on, how you respond to people, what you do, what you don't do, and why you don't do what you do and what you, the reason you do what you do, do. Wait, do. Okay? It, it, is, it is all of that. I just met a young man last night, and uh, he, um, his goal um, was to, and he's probably in his you know, 26, 27 years old. His goal was to go to school, and he went to school, and he wanted to be a, um, a, a, a sports agent. Going to go to get a law degree and become a sports agent and make a ton of money. And then serve God using that, those, that money. And God grabbed hold of his heart. And he now, his desire is to go become a full-time missionary. And he's talking about taking first steps and what he's going to do and needing some money to, to um, you know, go through training and, and go through some schooling and, and, and some different things that will take him down a path. And then a first step on the mission field. Now, he was hoping to make, he goes, I'm making, you know, six figures, not just 100000 but, you know, 200000 Four hundred, five hundred thousand. You know, easily make that much. That's the kind of money he wanted to make. And he, he goes, he goes, and he goes. You know, when I go on here, all I need is eight hundred dollars a month to live in this country and to serve God. And it just blew me away as he was talking about where he was going to be. Because I have, I know a guy who's a sports agent. I know how much he makes. And 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 to say go from that to eight hundred, that's repentance. That is a change of mind that changes your direction. And God got a hold of him. Now, that doesn't mean that we all have to give up our jobs and go to, on the mission field. But he says, I, I want to, to teach you and to, and to, and to lead you to, into repentance. And to turn away um, and, to, to, and to faith in Christ. And, and, and to share that. And Paul was a master of sharing his faith and to sharing Christ with people. You know, remember, remember the story of, of Paul and Mars Hill? How, how he, he talked to the people there and used what was there to, to, to the, the, all the idols and this, un, this idol that, that was to an unknown God. And he says this, let me share you about this God. And he was so incredibly gifted at that. Have you ever been in that place where it's like, hey, you have an opportunity to talk or to share with someone who doesn't know the Lord, but you're not sure what, how, what, how much, exactly what to say. Have you ever been there? You don't have to answer, but just go like this if you've ever been there. You, you don't have to answer. I'm asking you to answer, but have you ever done this? Go like this if you have, go like this if you don't, or just look at me with a blank expression if you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay? I, would, I have been there many, many times. In fact, just a few weeks ago, um, I was... Uh, I can't I remember the last time I was here. I don't think it had happened yet. But in Santan, over in, the, in Santan, there, Santan Flats, you know that uh, restaurant over there? You kind of sit out on the benches outside in the back. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know, I don't know if it's called Santan Flats. I think it is. Anyways, there's, um, there's a restaurant there, and there was a, a young woman who a few weeks ago got into a car with a guy. He had this um, 60s Roadster, high-octane car, rebuilt and took her for a ride. He lost control, went through a fence, flipped. Um, she, he got out. She was caught in there. It caught on fire and exploded, and, and she was killed. Um, that young woman worked with my wife at the restaurant that she works at. 
And uh, I was on my way back from California, and my wife and I have been praying. We just we pray for the for the the people who are there, the servers who are there. Man, we love them. We we want to be. We want to, We want them to know how much we love them, how much we care about them. And and, and we pray all the time that they would we'd have conversations, spiritual conversations with them, and, and and allow God to open up those doors for us, and not trying to push it down because we don't want them to think that they're a project of ours. We just want them to know that we love them because we do. Because they're valuable. God loves them, and we want to do the same. And, 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 and part of loving them is we want to share with them. Well, I, on my way back, I was in California visiting our, our kids. And, and on my way back, my, my wife um, called me. And praise God, because it's not illegal to talk on the phone in Arizona. Um, I was able to talk to her. And she was saying that uh, they were going to do some memorial service for her at the restaurant. And her fiancé would be there and his family. Her parents were going to fly from California to be there. Um, and, and the manager came up to her. And, she, and he says, I, like, your husband, she says, he was kind of, he's like, he's kind of a, I don't know, like a, like a pre or or vicar or um, kind of he's a spiritual guy right <laughs> she goes yeah that's him and uh, he goes well, would he say something and 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 I was like yes I want to do that but man that day and that was like Saturday it was the next night I talked with the fiance that 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 um, early on on Sunday early Sunday afternoon and just to know, to know a little bit more about her from his perspective and just wanted to be very personable and about who she was and and um, and I was praying so hard God knowing there's no Christians that work there my wife is the only follower of Jesus who, who works at this restaurant uh, there, most of the people there don't know Christ some of his fa- his family did and his mom actually his mom and dad go to, go to a church a really good church in, in over in Queen Creek and so there are some but most of the people there don't know there's about 60 people there and it's like hey God how do you want me to share what do you want me to share and how much do you want me to share because because I want to share in, in the way that and, and that was my struggle and that, that really was my, my struggle on, on what to and how and, 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 and how to say the truth in a way and a manner that wouldn't throw up a wall but would pierce through their hearts that, that are hurting. And I just, I just really praise God for that time. And I know we've been there. And we've all been there wondering what to do and how to share. Helping people to turn their attention to faith in Christ, knowing that that's the answer for them. I got a few more minutes here. Let me share. Paul, from, from 22 to 27, kind of, let me just read this to you. And I'm going to skip over a couple things. So I want to get to, to some things with you, okay? It says, and now, he says, now, verse 22, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to go. He goes, after I've shared all this that I've done, he goes, now I'm going to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And we want to know how he knows how the Holy Spirit is telling him that, that, that prison and hardships are facing him. Because in just about every city, he's had hardships or, and or prison. It's like, it's like the Holy Spirit's going, and, you know, one day this is going to happen. It's, it's, it's happening all the time to him. He understands, this has been his experience so far. He says, however, I consider my life not worthy, or my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel. Of, that is amazing of God's grace. He was my life, it doesn't mean anything. Any hardships I go through, all I want to do is to finish well. To finish right and to complete all that God has planned for me. I don't know about you, but I read that and I feel, God, my mind and my attention is so far from that so often. I don't think, I don't care about myself. I just want to make sure that I 
finish and I do everything you want me to do. I complete everything that you have for me. And maybe I'm the only one, but my mind is not always there. I want it to be. I want to believe that I can get there. But that's and then he says this. Now I know, and this is the think, think about this. These are men that he loves. These men love Paul. These men love Paul. They, he's their spiritual father. He is their mentor. He is the one they look to as is that spiritual guidance. And this is this is what he says. He goes, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He goes, This is the last time we will ever see each other. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul shares, he's going to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to experience hardship. And he says he knows he won't ever see him again. You know, I, 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 I can only imagine that there were some tears that began to flow at that moment at that time. The hurt and the pain that they wouldn't see him again. That this was it. This was the last time. They're, just, they're at, they're at this, this port, and he's talking to them. And, and then he says, and, and he says, you know, I, I know my, my hands are clean, meaning I've shared with everyone that God has want me to share with, that, that, that it's on them now. They're the ones who have made the decision to yes or no to do that. And he gives them a charge. He gives them uh, several things he wants them to know. And in the next nine minutes, I want to share with you a couple of those very quickly, okay? And the first of all, he says, I want you to be on guard for yourselves he goes, and for the flock or for one another. I'm going to talk about for one another. I want you to be on guard for yourselves and for one another. I want you to look out for yourself. Take a look at yourself. And I want you to, I want you to care for one another. I want you to watch out that, 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 that others around you are not in danger. He, and, and he says, be on guard. And one of the first steps in looking out for ourselves is basically self-examination. Really looking at ourselves and exam. Now, it is easy to look at someone else and let them know where they're lacking, right? 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 Okay, yeah, okay. It is, right? I mean, we like to say, even let them know when someone's preaching, like, oh, I hope she's listening over there. I mean, we, we, we do that. Okay, I've been guilty of that. I've been sitting there hearing that going, oh, I wish so-and-so were here, you know? I mean, I do, I have, I've been guilty of that. It's a whole nother thing to look at yourself, isn't it? Man, it's easy to look at someone else and where they're lacking. But to look at yourself and to be honest with yourself, to look at who you are, your heart, your actions, your words, your attitude, is it a reflection of, is it, is it not the person you should be or need to be, but is it the person that you want to be? See, it's not about needing or shoulding or have to. It's about, is it what, is it what I want to be in Christ? Is this what I want to be? Is this the attitude I want to have? Is this the attitude I'd want to deal with in another? Are these the words I really want coming out of my mouth? Is this the priorities really that I want, that I truly want deep down inside? Is it really? To examine yourself and your life and your heart with that. First Timothy 4, verse 16. Paul says, pay close attention to yourself 
into your teaching. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for those who hear you, both for yourself and for those who hear you. It's not easy to look at yourself, is it? It's not, it's not a, sometimes even a fun thing to do. It's, it's, it's hard. Um, do you think it's why we hesitate sometimes to take a good, honest, hard look? Do you think maybe that's why we look at others before ourselves? Because maybe we, and let's be honest, when we judge, I mean, because we all do this, right? We all look at someone else and we, we kind of do judgments between the two of us, right? Okay, and you think, okay, um, yeah, well, I'm thinner. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I look at the car I drive. Yeah, well, you know, I wouldn't say it like that. I think I'm better than that. We're not going to look up at people that we feel like we're not as good as, right? We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to look at these people. We're going to look at these people. It's easier that way. Feel a little bit better. Now, I'm not perfect, right? How many of says, well, I'm not perfect. <laughs> I don't think anyone had a question whether that was true or not, okay? I just want you to know. I'm not perfect. I got, I got some things. But are, are we willing to look at those things? Are we willing to deal with those things? If we got a little thing that's growing on our back that we feel, we're going to say, I'm okay. It's just a little. I got my whole, the rest of my body is fine. I don't need to look at that. It's fine. It's just a little thing. It's a little growth. It's not a big deal. Is that wise? Because that little thing can become a significant thing, right? Can't it? And in our lives the same way, we think, oh, it's just a little thing. Well, that little thing can become a very significant thing in our lives. We need to look at ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. And this is that we need to also care for the people around us, the, the flock. And we need, to, we need to, to guard one another from the enemy. And, 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 and the kind of wolves, he talks about wolves that are coming in. Um, in, in verses 29 through 31. I'm not going to read it because I have a few, just have a couple minutes here. He's talking about wolves that come in. And, that, and he says, you need to be on the alert for, 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 for false teachers and for these wolves and for, for people who are coming in looking good and sounding good, but, but really are, are wrong, are bad, are false. You know, there's, there's religion out there, actually one that's uh, a false religion. It's really popular in this area. It, it's very big in this area. And... Um, they use Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. They talk about strong family values. They even talk that they're just another Christian denomination. But they're very works-related. Who, who really, who they believe Jesus is, is not who the biblical Jesus. Who God is not the biblical God. Very works-oriented. But it can be kind of confusing for some people at times. Because it can be kind of, it is just enough, to, a little bit of the truth thrown in to, to deceive he says, we need to be on the, on the alert. You know, it's the idea of being in a battle or being in a dangerous land and walking through like we're oblivious to the fact that we're actually in a, in a battle. Do you guys understand that as believers, as followers of Jesus, it says that we're involved in a spiritual war? How many people know that? Every single one of us know that, right? And, and if you didn't know it, you know it now. We are involved in a spiritual battle. And, and, and is, it, is it just during the holidays? Is it just during summer when it gets so hot here, we know there's a battle, okay? Is that what it is? Or, or is it a daily battle? Is it just at work from 9 to 5? Or is it 24-7, 365? Is it that? 
Do you guys understand? The reality is we all know that we're in a battle, but how many of us really live our lives with, with a conscious realization and, and, and acknowledgement through how we do things that we really are in a battle? That we will never know a single day of peace, of a spiritual peace, away from a battle that, with the enemy until we stand before God. Or until he comes back and we stand before him. Do you guys realize that? Not a single day. We live in a war zone. Constantly. Every day. All the time. And that's real. It's real. I'm not lying to you. But oftentimes we don't walk in a way where we're alert as if we were in a battlefield. Now, I don't know if you ever, if you, any of you saw the uh, American Sniper, that movie. It, 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 was, it was a disturbing movie. Um, in, in, a, in a lot of different ways. But he's, he's in this country, and it's a war zone, and no one doubts it's a war zone. And people just don't stroll down the street because they know it's a war zone. And, he says, and that's why he says, be alert, be on your guard to what's going on around you. And then he says that we need to study and pray. We need to study and pray. We need to study God's word, and we need to pray. If, if, if someone didn't know what this was and came to you and said, how would you describe what this is? What, what is this? What, what would you say? Go ahead and raise your hand, because I do want to hear from you on this one. And we, we've got just a... We're going to go like three minutes over. Is that Okay. Are, are you going to curse my name? Do it in love if you do, okay? But It's an instruction manual to all things of life. Okay so, okay, so an instruction manual for all things to life, okay? Pertaining to life. Anything else? Um, it's kind of like post um, on a path on how you should live. So post a path on how to live, Okay. God's communication to human beings. Say that one more time. It's, it's God's communication to human beings. Okay, it's, it's God's communicating with us, okay? It's his, actually, it's called the Word of God, okay? Yeah? Anything else? God. The living Word of God. It's the living Word of God. It's just not a book of words. It's actually something that's living. It, it, it is something that we can read at one time, and then um, several years later, go and read the same words, and all of a sudden, it, it responds, we respond to it differently. Okay, wh- wh- anything else? Yeah. Um, it's the written Word of God, which um, enables us to fight the lies that the enemy tells us. Okay, written word of God that allows us to fight the battle or, or the lies that the enemy tells us. You know, I've heard it also talked about this, that it is um, a gift from God. It's a love letter from God. Um, it, it's what he desires us to know for a life that can be full and rich. Um, it's his plan for a relationship with us that will last for eternity. It's what's most important to him for us to know. You know, and you all kind of covered that. But the question I ask myself is, for myself, is, is does how I, how I deal with this, does it display what I believe it is? It, 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 do, do, I, do I approach it in a way that reflects what I believe it is? 
And, 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 I, and I'm going to share one story with you, okay? And, and then I'm going to read one quote, and I'm done, okay? Do you believe me? Okay, good. I'm not lying to you. Uh, a man, you know, we, we have different people in our lives that, that, that have an incredible influence on us or an impact on us. And, and, and I don't know about you, some people have been personal people I've known, and some people have just been people I've heard or, 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 or through books they've written or, or through how, you know, hearing them speak that, that have had impact. Do you guys share the same way? I mean, different types of thing, people, right? One of them was Richard Wormbrandt. Richard Wurmbrandt was a Romanian pastor um, in communist Romania. And in the 70s, in, in, the, in the 60s and 70s, um, in communist Romania, he, he was basically told by the communist rule, you're not allowed to preach, you're not allowed to teach, you're not allowed to do this. Well, he continued to do that. He was arrested. His wife was arrested just for me and his wife, and they were thrown into prison. He was in prison for 18 years, tortured um, for 18 years, for being a Christian, told time and time again, all you have to do is to denounce Christ and say, you'll never preach again, and we'll let you go. Never did. Um, his wife was let go after eight years from prison. Uh, two years after she was let go, um, a, a, a person came um, disguised or pretending to be a prisoner that had been with her husband, because they had women's prisons and men's prisons, and telling her that uh, he had witnessed her husband um, killed in torture. She believed her husband was dead. He was tortured in such a way that his feet, um, uh, after he got out, he was in constant pain. And when he would speak, he could only stand, if he could stand, for just a few moments and he would have to sit. Because he was in constant pain. And he, he, he's written books and he tell, tells stories about people in his country who, who love the Lord and, and, and the cost and the things that they go through. He told a story about a woman who was blind. Uh, she came to um, his church. She accepted the Lord. Um, but there was no Bible that she had, no, no Braille Bible um, in, in their language. And, and, um, and so she could only listen to other people read it. And then through a missionary, and I don't know all the circumstances, actually she was able to get a Bible in Braille that she could read. And, and she was just thrilled because she could walk around in the open with God's word, sit on a bench in public and read the word and nobody knew it. The, the police did not know. It could just have been any book. Okay, she goes, my blindness became a gift of God to me because I could read the word anywhere, anytime, and my brothers and sisters of Christ could not because they would take it. Well, I don't know how, but it, it, all of a sudden the police discovered what had happened and that this was a Bible and that that, that was kind of what she was doing. They took the Bible... They, they, they arrested her, and then they did something horrible. They tortured her by burning her fingers. And, and when they would heal, they would then slice and cut them. Stitch them up. When they would heal, they would burn them. And when they would heal, they would slice and cut them up. And then stitch them up and heal. And they did this over and over and over to her. She had no feeling left. In her hands, and they did it to her feet as well, because they figured that she may try to use her toes and the feeling in her toes to read the Bible. She had no feeling left in there, and then they released her. They gave her her Bible and said, "Enjoy your Bible." And she goes, "From that day on, I continued to read the Bible, but she says I used my lips to feel the words." And she goes, "God's word was more sweet to me because 
when I read his word, it was as I was kissing his word. Nothing was going to stop her from reading the word because of how valuable and how good it was. And when I look at that, I think, I would have given up. I wonder if I just would have given up. You know what she showed? The value of what God's word was to her was worth so much that she was willing to do anything to get it. God's word is powerful. We need it. And obviously, all I can say about prayer is, boy, what an incredible gift God has given to us about prayer. And I wish I had more to say, but I want to close with this, with this um, quote. It's by E. Stanley Jones, and he says this, Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. He goes, if I throw out a boat hook from, from a boat and, and catch hold uh, of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. Because prayer is going to God and saying, I'm ready to align myself to you. And, 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 and Paul finishes by, it says, after he shared the things he shared, it says they surrounded him, they cried together, they prayed together, and Paul went. It's really beautiful. I would encourage you to read, read this passage, okay? It's beautiful. Try to read it knowing and understanding all the players and the people involved and what Paul's, Paul's trying to say to them. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage of, of these people who are brothers in Christ and who care about each other and love each other so much. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for um, your word and for these men um, and our brothers and sisters in you that lived thousands of years ago, a couple thousand years ago, um, but who, Father, went through the same things we go through and, and, and the same challenges we go through and gave us great examples, even through their failures, God, uh, of how we can honor you and love you and walk with you and, inter, inter, and relate to one another. And I pray, Father, that we would see each other, take hold of the opportunities we have, to share with each other and to talk to each other, no matter what it is, in love, and lift you up and glorify you in that. Thank you for the gift of your word and the gift that we have to come to you anytime we ever want to. That's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless, guys. Love you. Sorry I went about five. I went over, so, yeah.